Welcome to another episode of the No Plain Views Podcast with your hosts, Brandon Mintz and Harris Eisenberg, and we're coming to you here with an action-packed episode. We have the NBA season has arrived. We're going to preview the two New York teams, what we think about the outlook of the New York Knicks, the Brooklyn Nets. We're going to give you our playoff predictions as a whole, along with who we think is going to bring home the MVP this year. I feel like with NBA MVP, it's just one of those narratives that really holds weight all season long i feel like from this like we'll be a couple weeks into the season and we'll already be talking about early mvp front runners i feel like with, with basketball specifically that mvp has such season-wide narratives throughout so we're excited to break into that obviously it's just another just another chalky week and on the new york gridiron seeing both the jets and giants win the jets strut into lambo and blow the doors off the packers the giants do what they do which is pulling out tight contested victories over the Baltimore Ravens. We're going to discuss the implications of both those wins. We have our picks to get into. I pulled it into just one. Everything is coming in here at a, at a big time for us. And it actually turns out that tonight there is a little bit of a sports equinox going on. There will be a game being played in all four American professional sports leagues. So that, that that's a cool little thing and just speaks to the time of year we're in. So let's get right into it. And we want to start here with our NBA preview. It's, it's something we've been talking about. It's been coming up. I feel like this year it came up a little faster than most years. I feel like just out of nowhere, I, I just I really wasn't as in tune with with, with uh, training camp and the preseason, and all of a sudden we're, we're, we're off and running. So the, the NBA is back, and it's a very interesting year. We'll start. Well, I'll put it out. I'm a Knicks fan. We, we, I want to I put my – put that out front. You guys know I'm a Jets fan by now, clearly. I'm also a New York Knicks fan, and we're obviously, just like we do with the Giants, we're going to talk about – Brooklyn Nets, but we'll start with the Knicks here. And it was an interesting offseason for the Knicks. You are heavily engaged in trade conversations for probably a top 15 player in the NBA and Donovan Mitchell. Those end up falling through. So you bring back basically your entire young core of RJ Barrett, Emmanuel Quickly, Obi Toppin, Mitchell Robinson, with two of those guys, RJ Barrett and Mitchell Robinson, receiving extensions breaking a little bit of a long drought they had of not extending any of their draft picks. It started by Mitchell Robinson was a second round pick. And then they broke what was known as the, the Charlie Ward curse with the RJ Barrett extension, keeping him around for the next four years. So you, you, you bring back this team, your big off season moves. You bring in Julius Randall, <laughs> bring in Julius Randall, excuse me. You bring in Jalen Brunson, the point guard from the Dallas Mavericks, and you bring in Isaiah Hartenstein to back up Mitchell Robinson and you lose some of that just veteran what felt like roster cloggers from years past. You move Alec Burks, Nerwins Noel, and Kemba Walker all end up on the Detroit Pistons in some capacity. And you would just hope that sort of opens up a window here for the Knicks to really lean into what should be a relative youth movement with their young players. We've seen in years past one of the big, at least my critiques of Tom Thibodeau as head coach, he's coming into year three here, is he really has not truly allowed the young guys to have the opportunity to flourish. I mean, we saw what IQ and OB did at the end of last season in a very small sample when they were really given the opportunity to play a lot. So I think that's going to be a big, big story on this next 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 season. And you bring in Joe Brunson, who should bring hopefully stability to the point guard position that the Knicks have not had. And I, I really could not even tell you the last time. I mean, you, you look at the Knicks opening night point guards in the past, let's call it 15 years, and it's just 
it's just riddled with guys who really have had no, or at least when they were the starter for the Knicks, had real no upside to ever on any given night be a top 10 point guard in the league, whether that be just Kemba Walker, the shell of Kemba Walker last year, and you have guys like Alfred Payton, Pablo Prigioni. The list goes on and on, and it's just Jalen Brunson should be a breath of fresh air and the fact that he is going to be a smart player. He is a guy that proved that he could play alongside another, obviously, in Luke, you're talking a superstar, but the point being with Jalen is he knows how to play alongside other guys. If, if another guy's having a really strong night, whether that be Julius Randle or R.J. Barrett, he can play that secondary role and know how to do that in a successful way because of what he brings when it comes to passing and just his ability to help orchestrate offense. And that is, to me, going to be a big thing for the Knicks. How does Jalen Brunson help facilitate and be a catalyst for offense? Because we're coming off a year where essentially your full-time point guard was Alec Burks, and that led for just so many situations where you had your you had your best scorers like RJ and Julius have to go into isolation mode and really just have to go off the dribble and not really be able to work through an offense. I think J- Jalen Brunson should help bring on a little bit of a different look there. So that's that's definitely exciting. I mean, we're here. It's it's a couple of days into the NBA season. Our predictions were were set in stone beforehand, but now we do have at least a game under our belt where the Knicks lost a close one to Memphis last night in overtime, and it, it sort of showed a, a couple ends of the spectrum with the Knicks. You have an unexpected outburst from from Cam Reddish. He goes for over 20 points off the bench. You have Julius Randle put together a really strong game where he looked way more composed, way more poised with the ball, not turning it over like he was last year. He was he was the best player for the Knicks and probably behind John Morant, the second best player on the court last night. But then you have other things. You have R.J. Barrett in his first game off this huge extension that he signs. He arguably has the worst game of his career. And he's going to need to obviously work through that coming off last year. He's gotten better every year. That's my thing with R.J. Barrett. I was thrilled when they committed to him for long-term because my thing that I love about him so much is he's got better every year. He he's He's progressively increased his points. It was 14. It was 17. It was 20 last year. Now what is really going to be a huge impact on the next season is can R.J. Barrett take that next step and that being an all-star? Are we now talking 23 points? with potential All-NBA defense. That really is going to be what determines this Knicks ceiling. It's not going to... We saw what the best of the Knicks could be with Julius Randle as your best guy. It was a first-round playoff bounce. We saw... We we, we sort of know what Jalen Brunson is. He, he's going to average around 16, 18 points a night and, and just be a real solid contributor night in, night out. But if we're talking about what could break the Knicks through into a new level of ceiling, into a new level of upside, that would be R.J. Barrett taking that next step. I'll, I'll leave it there, Harris. I want to get you in here. Just your initial thoughts on whether it be last night's game, the season as a whole. Let me hear your just your first thoughts when you think 2022-2023 New York Knicks. Yeah, well, I think last night's game was actually a good sign for the team because they, they went into the half down 15 and were able to force overtime. So I think that's obviously a good sign, obviously coming off an off year for them. But you're right. I think the talk of the town has been Jalen Brunson. I actually watched a TikTok this morning um, of all the point guards that the Knicks have had since 2009 – and you go in just year after year of Chris Duhon, Tony Douglas, a washed Jose Calderon, Derek Rose, who was not the Derek Rose that he was two years ago, and all these players. So, you know, you hope that uh, Brunson's here for quite a while. And I think that's definitely a good thing. But I think the most underrated thing, and you can see this in the NBA, the NBA is all about pairings and duos and, and, and big threes. Now, I think bringing in Cam Reddish will only help R.J. Barrett more. Obviously, the two played together at Duke. So uh, I think this is beneficial for R.J. Barrett and also for the Knicks to get Cam Reddish, you know, a guy who's got a new opportunity to get familiar 
uh, with a Knicks system while having his main pal that he had at Duke just a few years ago. So definitely beneficial right there for R.J. Barrett um, as terms of, you know, you know, I know there's a bunch of Evan Fournier stuff flying around, whether he's going to be out of town soon. But I think, you know, at this point, the Knicks need to start leaning on more of their young youth movement. While I do think Fournier can be a game changer, but I think he'll be gone at the deadline. You need to rely on your Obi Toppins and your Mitchell Robinsons and obviously RJ and even Cam Reddish to give you some big minutes here because this is not a Knicks team that has severely high expectations. This is a Knicks team that we know can be well coached, but just happened not to be last year. So I think if they revert to what they were two years ago, I think they'll be fine. But I think it's about the youth movement right now for the Knicks. And I think it shouldn't fly under the radar that Cam Reddish is here with RJ Barrett. Yeah. And, and it should be, it's going to be Cam as a guy. It's, of course, I mean, last night, he realistically probably wouldn't have been in the opening night rotation. You have Quentin Grimes is unavailable last night. And that sort of opens up this opportunity for him to come off the bench and flourish like he did. But, when, when the Knicks acquired Radish last year, a little bit for the deadline, he, he really just do for Tom Thibodeau. We know he's, he's always been a coach that is going to coach as hard as he can to win that given night. And he leaned with the vets at any given turn. So it was interesting to see the front office be like, well, we're going to take the vets away and we're going to send them all to Detroit. So now you sort of are in a situation here where you're, you're going to have, you're going to definitely see a little bit more of, of all of the young guys. And, and it's going to be a big telltale because you didn't, you actively went out of your way to not, package them in a deal for Donovan Mitchell. I mean, that was a that was a big potential turning point for this Knicks franchise to be able to go out there and land a guy, a multiple-time All-Star, established scorer like Donovan, and and they chose not to. I mean, I, I've heard a million different reports on what the offers were. I mean, it, it, that feels so a little bit old news now, so I don't want to go too far into it, but my whole thought press on the Donovan Mitchell trade sweepstakes was I will essentially do whatever it takes to land him. That does not include giving up R.J. Barrett. Because to me, bringing in Donovan Mitchell to not pair him up with R.J. Barrett sort of defeats the purpose. The whole point would be to start building this ascending, you mentioned duos, this ascending young duo in R.J. and Donovan and have them grow together and, and flourish into hopefully one of the best young tandems in the NBA. And when I saw that, it would it would be taking R.J. plus draft picks, plus a guy like Quentin Grimes, I, that, sort of, that, that concept sort of lost its appeal for me. So if you're telling me I saw it, one of the packages was potentially a couple first round picks, RJ Barrett, Mitchell Robinson. I just don't see how that really helps your team as a whole because you're taking away what the second, second and third, fourth best player on the team in order to bring in Donovan. I mean, how much better is that going to be than what we've already seen of Donovan in Utah with a guy like Rudy Gobert, who would definitely be the second best player right now in this Knicks team. So uh, considering what it was rumored to have taken, I'm not devastated that we didn't get Donovan. Would it have been great? Would it have brought a lot of buzz? Would he be out there probably dropping 25 a night at MSG this year? Absolutely. But when you're talking about the long-term outlook of this team, I, I think rolling with what they have for now until at least the next star hits the market. And then hopefully what you really need to hope is by the time the next star hits the market, one of, at least one of Quentin Grimes, Emmanuel Quickly, or Obi Toppin has increased their value to the point where they can hopefully toe frontline a deal. Whereas now you would need RJ to frontline a deal. And then those other guys would be supplementary pieces. Hopefully if you actually let those guys get the run that they need, by the time the next star comes available, one of them could be the headliners of the deal. And you could keep together. You could start building a little core of Jalen Brunson, RJ Barrett, insert star here. Because I think realistically, when we're talking long-term Knicks, the best player on a future Knicks championship team is not on the roster yet. And I'm as big an RJ guy as they come. I've been, I've loved RJ since his rookie year. I think they have something really special there with a two-way player that is clearly dedicated to improving his game. But I think 
I, I'm not as sold on RJ being the best player on a championship team. I mean, we see. We, I mean, we could just go back year by year. Who are the best players on teams that win the NBA title? It's LeBron James. It's Kevin Durant. It's Steph Curry. It's Kawhi Leonard. If you're not one of those guys, you've actually had a very, very duff, difficult time winning an NBA title in the last decade. So you, you got to think here, where is going to be that next guy? And I really don't know. Donovan was the obvious choice. He's gone. He's on the Cavs now. He's there for the foreseeable future. So, but the thing is with basketball is they pop up so quickly. It's just one of those leagues where they sort of just one second, a guy is locked into a franchise and then the next second they're, they're being shopped. So we'll see where that comes from. But for this, for this short term next season, it's going to have to be a good balance because for them to compete for what's called a play in berth, potentially a back end playoff berth, I would say if all things go right, you're going to need your vets like Evan Fournier and Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle to get the job done. But like I said, it's going to be your RJs, your IQs, your OBs that can actually take them to the next level and, and, and see what this Knicks team's potential could be. Because we we know what the vets bring. Besides Julius, on a, you really, he's sort of a day in, day out. You don't know what you're going to get. But if the Knicks are going to be good, you would assume you're getting the good Julius Randle. It's going to be the young guys that take him to the next level. And, and that be including Mitchell Robinson. Can he stay healthy? He had a great preseason first game. He's in foul trouble and he he doesn't even play 15 minutes. So it's I feel like there's a lot of volatility on this Knicks team. And it's going to be very interesting to see how Dibbs sort of, and it's a critical point of his coaching tenure here. The first year went great. The second year, not so much. What What is sort of the actual median of the Tom Thibodeau experience with a roster that's sort of, it, it's a very interesting roster that could be used in a lot of different ways. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's basically what it comes down to. We want to see if Tom Thibodeau can, can have a renaissance year. So I think it'll be interesting what Evan Fournier's role is going to be what Derek Rose's role is going to be if Mitchell Robinson can stay healthy. But you mentioned the Donovan Mitchell trade and you say, well, there's no championship player on the roster. And you're a hundred percent right. But if you look at the last four off the last few off seasons, I think Knicks fans, I guess they have a reason to be a little disappointed because obviously everyone thinks the business model is a hey, go get the guy, just show him the money. I just don't think that's the Knicks business model as of right now. And I, I don't think it's a bad thing, but I think Knicks fans should realize that this is just going to be another one of those years where it's a developmental year to kind of feel out what they have on the roster. And, you know, do I think they could contend for a play-in? Sure. But I, I, I do think next year will be that year where they'll be more involved in the offseason, be a legit contender. But we'll see what they have in this roster. I do think that Thibodeau is the right guy to lead the charge here. It's just a matter of, of of how he manages the young guys and the vets. And coming off of some good preseasons like some of the young guys had, uh, I don't see a reason why they shouldn't be able to compete, the young guys. Well, that also brings up a question. Like you mentioned show guys the money. I mean, since the KD Kyrie offseason, right. has there really been like a free agent out there that was reportedly like rumored to have like, like a game-changing free agent that has hit the market that is looking to leave his situation? Like, I don't think that's really been a scenario. It's been the trade market where I think fans have been frustrated because they keep making all these draft picks. And you see this just in this year's NBA draft, the Knicks move out of a lottery pick to acquire multiple future protected first. And the the thought process, at least from a fan perspective, was they're trying to do something big here. They want to get as much ammunition that they could throw at a team, a la the Utah Jazz, for a star over player. And when that sort of falls through and now you're sort of stuck holding your hand and it be all these draft picks, which in, we we know in sports are just total unknowns. That is what probably riles up a fan base when you're sort of selling them this dream that like, we're waiting for that right time to strike. And it sort of felt like Donovan was like, okay, here's a guy that is coming out of situation. He's from New York and he's a proven star right now. And when that falls through, even though I was happy because I think the process was right in not willing to give up just 
a, an unreasonable amount of assets. I, I get how just from an emotional standpoint, it, it seems like now is the time to strike. So when you fall through there, there is a level of disappointment. But like you said, you said Derek Rose and, and Evan Fournier, like if things don't go well, when does Thibs actually make that pivot to that, whether that be Quentin Grimes getting a boost into the starting lineup or Emmanuel quickly taking over the predominant role off the bench in the backcourt, whether that be putting the ball in his hands more than Derek Rose. I think that's a big question that we have not seen Thibs be able to adjust and transition more to the youth. And of course, in an ideal scenario, Evan Fournier and D Rose are doing what they're supposed to do, which is be offensive firepower and veteran presences on a team. But if that doesn't happen, there has to be a plan because I, this can't just be a glass where they're sort of just middling into nothing into a, into the 12th overall pick because that doesn't really do anything for you. That The worst place to be in sports is the middle because now you're sitting here where you're not even sniffing a play-in. That's the top 10 teams in each conference. I mean, that, that's got to be the bare minimum expectation. At least give yourself a chance to get into a seven-game series. But then again, if if those guys are, if you're letting them play and they're playing poorly and they're just, they're they're losing, but they're winning enough to not let, give you at least the odds to get a top five pick, then you're sort of just stuck in this endless cycle of mediocrity. And I think that that's what the sort of what the Knicks need to get out of. So we'll see. I mean, I said it, I, I, I tweeted yesterday before both, both before tip off went off for the Knicks and the Nets, what I think the biggest storyline is going to be for the team's success this year. And from the Knicks perspective, I said, will RJ Barrett take that leap? I think it's all, it's not all about RJ because at this, in this moment, he's not the level of, a guy like like we'll say on that he's not the level of course like the level of Kevin Durant, but for the Knicks to really take that next step, RJ is going to, have to be the guy that actually elevates his own play. I the Knicks need a consistent perennial All Star, and there's looking at this roster up and down. You go through it. There's clearly no better choice to be that guy considering age, talent, what we've seen in previous years, and the fact that he is going to be with the Knicks moving forward to be that consistent All Star presence to represent this organization. So you got to hope. That you get that out of RJ. I mean, what, what? But before we move on to the next year, I mean, I'll I'll go first. I would say this team's most likely outcome is probably the playing tournament. I I would be absolutely shocked if this team's able to snatch in a loaded Eastern Conference a top six seed to guarantee themselves them uh, a seven game series. But I think this is probably a team that from some stability brought in by Jalen Brunson and you would you would like to think a bounce back year from Julius Randle alongside with RJ Barrett, Mitchell Robinson, and company. This is probably a team that you would think could win enough games to at least play themselves into whether it be the 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 seven through ten seed. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if that, like that is the highest ceiling for this Knicks team as a play-in game. Um, again, I don't think Tibbs will have back-to-back years of mediocrity. I think he's a good enough coach to not have that situation come at him. And, and if it is, maybe there's a change in the horizon. Who knows? But I think that's the ceiling for the Knicks. It's a play-in. And you know, if they're they're outside that and they missed the playoffs, you know, I wouldn't be shocked. So, you know, that's that with the Knicks. I think we kind of know. Personally, I think they're in a good position at least for a few years down the line just because, you know, you're going to have this year of evaluating guys, and then, you know, you're going to find supplements at some point, especially in in the next offseason. But, you know, transferring over across the bridge, you know, to a team that seems like they have all the right pieces but just don't have a really good glue to stick them all together is the Brooklyn Nets. And I'll put this right here just for our listeners to know. I am not a huge NBA guy. I think a lot of people know that. But there is not a single team that infuriates me more in all of sports than the Brooklyn Nets. And I I just think, you know, 
this goes back to when they hired Steve Nash. Uh, I just think the Nets are an ultimate boys club, you know, a bunch of just, you know, and I, I hate to say it, but it's true. You know, you got Kyrie Irving, who has displayed himself as just a mental patient and is really soft. Ben Simmons could be the softest human being I've ever met in mind. Uh, met, not met. I have obviously met the guy I've ever seen. I mean, the fact that he's standing there like a goofball during the playoffs last year and then putting out all these videos and saying, hey, I'm grinding, but just didn't want to step up for his team last year because he was too soft to play is is embarrassing. And now you have this roster and all the drama that happened this offseason to where it's like, okay, it's either going to go really good, which I think the ceiling for this team is probably a second-round exit, or I think it could go really bad. But I want to get your take on that. Uh, I do know the Nets do have some guys coming back. I think Joe Harris, I think, is a, is a nice piece to have back in the fold. I think it's like a, a nice little, you know, no drama, no BS kind of guy to have, which is good for this Nets team. And, yeah, I just want to know what you think, uh, especially given this roster that they have. I mean, I have plenty of thoughts on the Brooklyn Nets. I mean, to start, like, like I guess the first thing that caught my eye is you said this team ceiling is like a second-round type exit. I mean, I, I think this team ceiling is winning the NBA Finals. I mean, a team that has Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving should never be totally eliminated from the fact that they could win the championship. And it this is going to be a season where you said they're, they're, there's obviously a lot of question marks. And I think this is a team that that should have theoretically no excuses. We mentioned dynamic duos, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. They have a guy that could, a defensive player of the year type player in Ben Simmons. They have the shooting, Seth Curry, Joe Harris, Patty Mills. They have other guys that in just any given moment could come off the bench and light the stadium on fire, whether that be Cam Thomas or TJ Warren. This team has the structure and what should be the personnel to, to really win the NBA finals. There's obviously been so, I mean, we got to talk about the turmoil of just this, this past calendar year for the Nets. They assemble this big three by bringing in James Harden. Then, within a year of being a net, James Harden requests his way out and ends up on the 76ers. This offseason, Kevin Durant requests a trade. The Nets obviously were not able to get what they they wanted because the, what is the price on a top three player in the NBA in his prime, in contract, locked for four years? I mean, it's unprecedented. So they end up coming back to agree with each other. You have Steve Nash, who has not proven himself as a legitimate NBA head coach, who seems to be at the the center of the troubles that might be with, with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant and why things haven't clicked. So th there's a lot going on here that makes me understand why you might think this team does not have the ceiling that I think, because how committed is KD? We've seen Kyrie miss games left and right. What are you getting out of Ben Simmons? Who like, We haven't seen Ben Simmons play in a year. He Does he have a jump shot? Is he in conditioned? Is he confident? Who knows? The head coaching situation could be a mess. Nash might be out in a couple of weeks. But with all that being said, I can't dismiss the fact that if things go right, this team has, has as good of a chance as anyone to win it all. And it's crazy. Like You have a team here that has obviously the floor of last year getting swept out of the first round by the Boston Celtics. And I'm out here saying, like, I think, I think you got to at least acknowledge the upside of this roster that they put together. I mean, we, and last night was obviously a horrendous example of the point that I'm trying to make because they look, they looked awful. I mean, Ben Simmons fouls out and looks like a guy that has not picked up a basketball in since, since two seasons ago. And they sort of go out there and they get mopped by a young up-and-coming team that I think is definitely going to be someone that we have to touch on when we make our full NBA predictions predictions in the New Orleans Pelicans. But they, they looked awful last night. And for a team that just went through so much drama, so much this offseason, wouldn't it have been nice to go out and get like 60 combined points 
from KD and Kyrie and just a nice statement win at home to open the season. But in traditional Brooklyn Nets fashion, the exact opposite happened and they get blown out by over 20. I mean, it's it's going to be one of those years for the Nets. I I think it's going to be a story to watch out all season long. Could there be serious roster overhaul? Things really hit the fan? Absolutely. Is this coaching staff safe? No. But is is there that possibility? Just that crazy, it's out there. There is a version of this NBA season out there that it all clicks and they go on a, a serious, serious run later in the season. So, I mean, it's it's going to be a wild one. It, it's And it, it all really relies on on KD. He, they're going to go as far as he takes them. Yeah, I, I, you're right. I mean, look, I, I think this roster has probably the most upside in the conference. You can't overlook Kevin Durant. He might be my prediction for MVP, to be honest with you. But, um, you know, I do like the roster construction. I mean, they brought in some couple key vets. Obviously, Seth Curry's been here now. This is be his first full year. And then Markeith Morris, I think, is another guy who could be a stabilizer. And I like Cam Thomas as more of a, a younger guy. I mean, he's only 21. He's got pretty high expectations for a Nets team that is pretty loaded. But realistically, you know, how many games are – are, are KD, Kyrie, and Ben Simmons going to be all together for? I mean, if you want to do a, you know, we love making our picks uh, of our spreads. We could do an over-under right now of, of how many games KD, Kyrie, and Ben Simmons play together. And, and I don't expect that number to be very high. Uh, I, that's I, what it comes you know, down to. I, I hope that, it is. That's what the season is. Yeah, I, I hope it is. I just don't, I just don't see it happening. Uh, I, I'm just not a fan. I, I'm just really not a fan of, of this whole model that the Brooklyn Nets have. And you're right about Steve Nash. I think he might be the center of all the problems, to be honest with you. But even though he might be the center of, of the issues, it's ultimately Kyrie. And I believe it was KD who ultimately wanted Kenny Atkinson out in the first yeah. place. So that's on them for, for them to perform. Maybe they were a, a, a big advocate for Steve Nash coming in. So if they don't perform, who who are they going to perform for us? Like, you know, they need a reliable coach here that they, they clearly don't believe in. I think they believe in Steve Nash because, you know, they're all similar. Like he was a star in the league and they're all stars right now. But other than that, like has, have the Brooklyn Nets developed anybody around KD and Kyrie Irving, or are they just plucking guys out of free agency to, to kind of supplement who who they have on this roster? And the answer is, I don't really see anyone outside uh, of high expectations for Cam Thomas and and maybe Nick Claxton off the bench. But that's that's about it. I think the unfortunate answer to your question is that they had those guys and they were traded in the James Harden deal. Karis yeah. Levert and Jared Allen yeah. were two young guys that I really like. I mean, oh, Jared yeah. Allen, we've seen he reached his potential last year. He gets named to the All-Star team. Karis Levert gets traded to the Cavs and, and shows what he could do with the ball in his hands. Like th- That was a guy like Karis Levert that could come off the bench and be instant offense. And Jared Allen is your anchor of your defense and and, and could also, we've seen, has a little bit of a, he, he's improving offensively. Like Those were two guys that like, and it's so crazy because early last season, the, the Nets came out and and they had KD and Kyrie, obviously, and they had guys like Joe Harris and Karis LeVert and Jared Allen, just a lot of depth and a lot of playmakers next to them. And the Nets looked like a runaway freight train and they sort of throw it all away for James Harden. And that was just, like, unfortunately, the worst thing that could have happened to this franchise because in that situation, you lose your two young promising players in LeVert and Allen. You lose all your draft capital. You bring in a James Harden that is not playing at the same level that he did in Houston you then have to flip Harden less than a year later and bring back a guy that is, th- there is not a bigger 
question mark in this upcoming NBA season than Ben Simmons. His his play is a question mark. His char- is I mean I'm not going to say character. His his mentality is a question mark. Everything's a question mark about Ben Simmons, and that's going to have to be the third best guy on a team that that's going to be going up against the Philadelphia 76ers, the Milwaukee Bucks, the reigning Eastern Conference champ Boston Celtics that have guys up and down the roster that make impact. We see the importance. We saw it last year, the importance of depth. I mean, th- there, there was tandems, obviously, like Joel Embiid and James Harden and the, the Milwaukee Bucks with Giannis. They obviously were missing Chris Middleton last year. And, and those guys, all they're similar to Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. That's another great tool. But what made the Celtics different? It was just production from everywhere you look. There's Robert Williams with an impact play. How about Grant Williams, Derek White, Marcus Smart? It's a roster full of guys that contribute night in, night out. And I really question where the Nets are going to have that similar. They're going to need it to happen. They, they, it has the potential. I didn't even mention Royce O'Neal. They bring him over from Utah. That's a nice veteran two-way player. The guys are there. They're just going to have to actually execute on it. And if there's one thing that I've learned about the Brooklyn Nets in this in, in this KD Kyrie era, it is execution has not always been there. So we'll see. In that tweet that I referenced before, with the you hit it right on the head when I talked about the big the big thing that's going to define the team season. How I said RJ RJ's development is for the Knicks. Exactly what I said was with the Nets. How many games are Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and Ben Simmons going to actually play together? And then on top of that, they actually need to to play well. I mean, KD did his usual thing last night, dropping thirty two, but Kyrie was inefficient nine six of nineteen, uh, only fifteen points. And then Ben Simmons, obviously, just with a with a disaster of a debut, fouling out four points. I mean, he's got to start first off. He needs to look at, look at the rim. There, there's a hoop there, Ben. I know you like playing defense, and and you're a good passer. Don't get me wrong. But you got to put the ball in the bucket to, to to be successful. And last night, he only had three field goal attempts in 23 minutes of action with six fouls. So it's it's going to be a very, very interesting season in Brooklyn. I think that has – I think as crazy as it sounds, that Nets season has a bigger chance of just nuclear implosion than the Knicks one does. I think the Knicks are sort of set up for like – they're going to be in this range of where we expect them to be, and that be the playing tournament. The, the, the Nets could click and be a top three seed. But the Nets also could find themselves in the playing tournament like they did a year ago. It's a wild, a wild number of variations of how this Nets season could go. And if you're a Nets fan, you just got to hope that KD could just steer this ship in the right direction because undoubtedly he is one of the best players in the NBA still. So at least you have that going for you. But Kyrie Irving, Ben Simmons, the bench, the coaching staff, it's a whole lot of question marks and it was not answered. Kindly in night one, when you get absolutely routed on your home court to a team that just seemed way more, way more motivated, way more hungry in the young New Orleans Pelicans. And Zion Williamson finally back in action, which is, uh, I think, really explosive. But yeah, you're absolutely right with what's going on with the Brooklyn Nets. And speaking of the other teams like the Pelicans, you know, let's just dive right into it here. Uh, you know, conference predictions, playoff predictions and and MVP. Brandon, I'll let you start off with this one because obviously you got a little more expertise than I do. But, you know, I do have some sleepers that that I do think could be included on this list, but I'll let you go ahead. Yeah, I mean, you just you mentioned Zion. I have to say the it's essentially the, like the antithesis of what Ben Simmons did. Zion is a guy that missed an entire season. He comes back on the court and looks absolutely fantastic. It's It's great having Zion back on the court because of just explosive. I mean, there's no him and John Morant are the definition of explosive. And they obviously go one and two in that 2019 NBA draft. Zion comes right back and plays 30 minutes, drops 25, nine rebounds. And, and he looks absolutely fantastic. But yeah, let's, let me get in here to my NBA conference wide predictions here. And I'm going to run through it one through eight. We'll start with the East. 
because that's what we've been talking about the Knicks and Nats. In order, I have the Boston Celtics, Milwaukee Bucks, Philadelphia 76ers, the Atlanta Hawks at four, that followed by the Nets, the Cleveland Cavaliers, the Miami Heat, and the Toronto Raptors round out my eight. And, and I'll run through it really fast here, team by team. Boston Celtics, defending Eastern Conference champs, they got a, a really nice roster here. Obviously, JT and JB last year, that, that was their coming out party. They're missing Robert Williams for the time being, but I think that team, we saw what they did on opening night to the 76ers. That is a defensive juggernaut that obviously has guys that could just absolutely get buckets. You follow that up with the two-time MVP Giannis and the Milwaukee Bucks. I mean, as long as him, Chris Middleton, and Drew Holiday are around, they're going to be racking up regular season wins for them. They're looking forward to the postseason. You got the 76ers next. James Harden looks absolutely great in his debut. Obviously, in all these these predictions were made before the season started. It's just, at least we have a game to, to reference here. James Harden looked fantastic in that season opener. Joel Embiid is a guy that should be right in the thick of that MVP race as he's been the last couple of years, coming in second to Nikola Jokic a couple of times. Then the Atlanta Hawks. That was one of my more interesting picks. I have them here at the number four seed. Last year, they were in the playing tournament, sort of a step back from the team the year before that made the Eastern Conference Finals. But they actually went out and acquired one of my favorite players in the NBA in DeJounte Murray. This is a guy that is an all-world defender, is a guy that you could throw on the best player on the other team, assuming they're not a, a big, obviously, the, the best perimeter player on the other team, be like, that is your assignment, take him out of the game. And a guy that actually came into his own very much so last year, averaging around 20 points a game. So you bring a guy like that in to be a backcourt mate with Trey Young, that takes so much responsibility off Trey. Now having a guy that could actually really take focus on the primarily ball handler on the other team defensively and give him a little, another boost offensively. I think that's a great fit. I think that's a great player to bring into Atlanta alongside Clint Capella, John Collins, DeAndre Hunter. I, I think the Hawks are a team that's going to have a lot of regular season success. Then there it is, the Brooklyn Nets at number five. I, I think that's just sort of where they shake out. There's going to be enough of the really good and enough of the really bad that sort of lands them out with a mid-tier seed in this team. I think they avoid the play-in this year, but that's right. The Nets... Then you follow it up with now the Donovan Mitchell-led Cleveland Cavaliers. I mean, that's a team that I think has a lot of room to grow. You obviously have one of the most up-and-coming, I mean, not even up-and-coming at this point, one of the most promising young players in the whole league in Evan Mobley. You pair Donovan Mitchell, speaking of new and enhanced backcourts, with Darius Garland, who broke onto the scene last year, made an all-star team. Jared Allen, like we mentioned, they have Karis LeVert, and they have a, a, a bench, Kevin Love, Ricky Rubio, they they got guys that are going to produce, and I think that Cleveland team will find its way into a into the playoffs once again. The last year they felt they find just, they fall just a little short after what was such a nice season. They couldn't escape the playing tournament, and I think getting a guy like Donovan was the perfect perfect guy to raise the floor of this team. A guy that's going to give you buckets night in night out and take them to the postseason. You follow that up with the Miami Heat. I mean, it's same as usual there. Jimmy Butler, Bam, and Eric Spolstra are just just rocks of of that franchise. And, and I think they're, they're definitely going to find their way into the postseason. I don't think they have, like that's a team. Whereas I think Atlanta is going to be poised for a really nice regular season. Miami's a team that they, they don't always have the flashiest regular season last year, even though they were a top seed, that's a team that's not going to wow me night in night out. They're going to make it to the dance, but it's once we get into that playoff format where Miami is always as scary as anyone, because you know, they could clamp down and defend when you need it. And I expect them to do that once again. And then I throw in the Toronto Raptors. There's my eight. I think Scotty Barnes is a guy that could be in for a big sophomore year leap. They have a couple of guys that they're, they're not top 20 players, but Pascal Siakam and Fred Van Vliet are going to give them a level of stability and consistency that is going to greatly benefit the Raptors. So that's how I see the East shake out for this upcoming season. Harris, I want to hear your thoughts on your Eastern Conference playoff predictions. Yeah. So, you know, my list is very similar, forming a, 
a, a similar order. But, you know, I do think Milwaukee has every reason in the world that they could still be atop the Eastern Conference. So they're my number one for me. Then I'm going Boston at number two, despite all the turmoil that's going on at the head coaching spot within the organization. They still have that all-world talent. And personally, I think the Boston Celtics are the most exciting team to watch in the Eastern Conference. Like we mentioned earlier, just all these role guys playing a huge role for the Celtics. So I can see them going to the NBA Finals back there as well. I like the Sixers as my number three. I'm going Heat, move them up from your list to number four. Then I'm going Cavs at five, Nets at six. I think I think Cleveland just has a better gel than the Nets do to get over into that hump. Then I'm going Raptors seven, and and then I'm going Chicago Bulls eight. Uh, you know, I, I listen. I, missing Lonzo Ball is going to be big, but you know that's a bold prediction right there. But I think if there's a team that has the potential to sneak in, personally for me, I would say either. Chicago, I like their makeup, or, and you might call me crazy for this one, the Washington Wizards might have an opportunity oh, to at least get in a play-in opportunity and, and make the playoffs. Do I like the Wizards' chances? No. But it's like the Nets. If everything somehow finds a way to click, there could be a small chance. But they're not on my list for right now, so that's why I have Bulls in at number eight. Very interesting. I mean, it's one of the teams that I shot up my – my list, you had completely left off the Atlanta Hawks. That's very interesting. That's a team that we could look back and see. We had, I think, we had, we had the other seven playoff teams. You said the Miami Heat, right? I did. Adam. Yeah, so we had the other seven teams where, where we shared them, but me having a team as a four seed and you having them excluded from the playoffs, I think that's a that's something interesting that we could see there. I, the, the Bulls were, were on my, my next up there. I think that's a fairly reasonable pick. I mean, they'll find their way into the play-in at a, at a minimum. I mean, DeMar DeRozan is just as professional as it gets. And, and right, you, you obviously need Lonzo Ball healthy. Zach Levine missed opening night. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. But I think if there's a real concern about this Bulls team, it's going to be what's sort of played them in years past, and it's it's the defense. I mean, DeMar and Zach Levine, for all the good they do offensively, they're not particularly a great defensive duo. And their center, which is a position in this in this modern NBA, you have guys like Robert Williams and Jarrett Allen Manning, in referencing the Eastern Conference specifically, Manning the paint, Clint Capella, and just dominating games from a defensive end, Nikola Vucevic is a complete liability defensively. So I think that will probably be what their potential downfall is, but no, really no issue with Chicago getting in. But Atlanta as an exclusion, I think, was a very, very interesting choice there. But but yeah, it's the East, I, I think, I mean, it feels like it's been all these years, at least since we've probably started being interested in basketball, it's been the West that has always had the dominant conference. I, I I think it's fair to say that that has changed and the East is a better conference. Yeah, for sure. I mean, look, I was forming this list and it, like the bottom four, maybe three of the conference, it, it honestly seems a little weak or, or I wouldn't say weak, but a little different th than in the past of what we've seen. So yeah, I mean, we could get into the West. There are some powerhouse teams in the West. And yeah, Brandon, if you want to start it off again, get into get into your uh, your Western Conference picks. Yeah, the West was like you said, it's different. You got some unfamiliar teams climbing up into this playoff picture. It's it's there's been a little bit of a turnaround for some teams that have been sort of out of that playoff picture for a couple years. But let's get into it. I'm starting with the defending champ, Golden State Warriors. They looked great as usual on opening night. I mean, I mean, how much more are we going to say about him? Steph Curry is one of the best players in the league, and you surround him with Clay Thompson, Jordan Poole, Draymond Green, Andrew Wiggins. I mean, they they you have this is the crazy thing with them. I saw this somewhere on Twitter. It's just crazy to think about. 
they arguably have the best win now core of any team in the league. Steph, Dre, Clay, Wiggins. And then they have arguably, if you were going to go into a full rebuild, probably one of the best and promising young cores of any team. Jordan Poole, James Weissman, Moses Moody, Jonathan Kuminga. I mean, to have just four guys like that that are young and show a lot of upside. And and I mean, Kuminga and Moody and Weissman were all just taken in the lottery. I think top 10. And then Jordan Poole is a guy that you connect on a, way, a later round pick that becomes obviously a guy that they just committed to long term. To be able to have, to be able to develop I mean, that's what makes Steve Kerr so great to be able to nurse a team that has championship aspirations, but is also developing a young core simultaneously is what, what makes Kerr such a great head coach, but they're my number one, follow that up with the Clippers. I mean, you, you get back Kawhi Leonard and Paul George for a full season. You bring in John Wall, who I personally don't have the highest expectations for. I'm seeing a lot of John Wall hype fine with me, but what I think I really like about this Clippers team is that they've brought in depth around their two stars. They're going to have th- that trade from Portland that brought in Robert Covington and Norman Powell, I think will finally pay its dividends. Having them as real high volume bench scorers, when you move off of Kawhi and Paul George go to the bench. I mean, this is a Clipper team that if healthy, they're sort of the nets of the West in a different way where they easily could win the championship if everything goes right. But Kawhi and Paul George got to stay on the court. John Wall's this character that, I mean, we were talking about guys out of basketball for, for one year. We're talking two plus for John Wall. So we have no idea what we're going to get from him. But I, I really like what the Clippers have going. I, I think that should be a team that that derives, especially come postseason play. Then I'm going Denver Nuggets. This is a team that I've been on for years. When they put these pieces together, they have no reason to not be one of the most dynamic teams in the NBA. You have the reigning two-time MVP in Nikola Jokic. You have Jamal Murray, who for them, it's absolutely huge getting him back. He is the sidekick to the Joker getting him back, and it's going to take a little bit. It's not going to be pretty right away for the Nuggets, but I think as we get into this season, he is going to show his real value. We saw how crazy he went in that bubble playoffs in 2020. You have Michael Porter Jr., another guy that's coming off a big injury. They committed to him long-term. He is a wing that could be that has no business not averaging over 20 points a night. We've seen what he could do with taking the ball off the dribble and shooting it from behind the arc. I mean, this team with those three alone have as good upside as anyone. And and you obviously got you they they have that same cast of characters from from the bench. You have Aaron Gordon, you have Will Barton, guys that you expect to do their job behind the stars. But the difference between this year's and last team is is Aaron Gordon and Will Barton are not your second and third guys, they're your fourth and fifth. And I think that's what makes Denver pretty scary. I'll follow that up there with the Phoenix Suns. A little weird offseason for them. The whole DeAndre Ayton situation, he doesn't want to be there. He signs an offer sheet with Indiana. They match it instantaneously. I think that has potential to throw things off a little bit. But Devin Booker and Chris Paul, I mean, we, we've seen what they've done the last couple of years. Got to respect the Phoenix Suns. Mikael Bridges, I think, is one of the most underrated players in the NBA. Follow that up with the Timberwolves. Last year, they come onto the scene and they make the playoffs. That was a great story behind their two young stars in Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns. They bring in Rudy Gobert. I'm interested. We haven't seen sort of a twin tower situation like this since the DeMarcus Cousins and Anthony Davis Pelicans. So I'm sort of curious to see how Cat and Gobert coexist. It should theoretically work because they sort of do completely opposite things. Cat is your high volume scorer. He could shoot the three. He could take you down low. He is just a real weapon offensively, whereas Gobert is obviously a multiple time defensive player of the year. So they really should not have too much interference with their games, but it's just interesting to see two of a three, two of a team's three best players be bigs. It's just not a strategy you see that much taken in the modern NBA. So, and, and Anthony Edwards, I think, as great as I love those two bigs, this is, I think Anthony Edwards, this is going to be his team. And he is the guy that if he takes that next step, we saw what he could do 
last year in a limited playoff appearance. If Anthony Edwards takes a step, I mean, we're talking about RJ Barrett taking a step from really good player to all-star. Anthony Edwards' next step is top 10 player in the league. I think his upside is that serious. He is a scary, tantalizing talent. And I don't say that a lot about guy, uh, that about a lot of guys. We'll move on from there, a team that we briefly touched on, the New Orleans Pelicans. They obviously look great in their season opener. It'll be nice to actually see now Zion and B.I. with C.J. McCollum. Last year, it was just B.I. and McCollum, and they actually had some really good cohesion. And now you add a guy like Zion that has that 25-point-per-game night-in, night-out potential. They they actually got some serious firepower there. They bring Joan, They obviously have Jonas Valanciunas now for the second year. Herbert Jones. They they have some talent there that I think could make them a serious player. Follow that up with the Memphis Grizzlies. It feels like now I'm in that like little tier of teams that are led by a really a couple young superstars, John Morant, Zion, Anthony Edwards, that have sort of flipped the narrative on their franchise. And last year the Grizzlies were actually a two seed, so this is a big fall off. But I think that speaks to I think you have teams like the Timberwolves, Pelicans, and Nuggets that are due for some for some positive movement in the standing. So I got to bump someone down. And in this case, it's the Grizzlies. We saw them barely sweep out a win against the Knicks. And and it is what it is. John Morant is, I, I can't believe how good John Morant has become. Like obviously in college at Murray State, we saw he was one of the most electrifying, just jaw-dropping athletic profiles, especially from a guard. I mean, he mimics Derrick Rose level explosiveness. And it's just what he's actually become now. He's not just this guy that just throws down thunderous dunks and makes the highlight play. Like, the way he finishes around the rim makes him so scary. Like, I did not think already in his younger NBA career he'd have the level of touch and finesse around the rim. And that makes John Morant just, I mean, I, they said this last time on the broadcast, John Morant led the NBA in points in the paint last year. He's a point guard. Yeah. I mean, to be able to get to the rack like that, he's so fearless. John Morant is great, and I think the Grizzlies will still find themselves in the playoffs. But with guys like Jaron Jackson that are just consistently injured, who's supposed to be the sidekick to Ja, I think that's sort of going to take a hit this year in a way that last year it sort of all clicked. I think this year they're going to face the ramifications of Jackson not staying healthy a bit more. And then we get to the eighth seed. There's a couple teams that I have not mentioned. I have not mentioned the reigning Western Conference final participant, Dallas Mavericks, headlined by a very plausible MVP pick in Luka Doncic. And I have not mentioned the always in the news Los Angeles Lakers, as we know, headlined by LeBron James. I originally put down Mavericks. I did. I, I Their offseason was a little concerning. They bring in a guy in Christian Wood who does not really defend. They lose Jalen Brunson, who in a lot of times helped take a weave the responsibilities of Luka Doncic. But then I sat there for a second, and I'm like, am I really going to say, even though they missed last year, I get it. Do I really have the Lakers missing the playoffs again? I, I and, and it's sad because me my me showing my level of extreme confidence in LeBron is you're going to snag that eight seed. But considering what we saw to the Lakers last year, I don't think I have a reason to put them over any of the other seven teams. So that that's where they fall. I'll go with the Lakers here. They need AD to stay healthy. LeBron is obviously we're, – we're, it's you're you're 20. I mean, it's remarkable of what LeBron is still doing, but he's going to need AD to take off some of that burden. I mean, you can't keep demanding that type of responsibility from LeBron day in, day out. You got to at least play the long game a little bit with his legs. He's been, I mean, he's been in the league so long. He's went on more 10 finals appearances. Like you got to, it's, it's going to be on AD to really help get what, let, let LeBron get to the playoffs and be able to be what we've seen from LeBron in the playoffs. I'll round it out with the Lakers, my eight seed. Give me your Western Conference predictions, and then we'll we'll do finals predictions and RMVP. 
I think the LeBron roster construction for the Lakers is perfect for LeBron to carry the team all the way to a first-round exit. So I do agree that the Lakers are my number eight seed. I have a similar top four, very much the same. You know, the Suns will take a bit of a drop-off because, you, you know, along with the DeAndre Ayton stuff, I think the Jay Crowder stuff was a little interesting as well. So I have them down at my four for that reason. If it's not going to be the Warriors who pull this thing out, I think the Clippers have the second-best chance in the West. You know, elite backcourt. I know John Wall's been out a while, but having Paul George finally healthy is really good. So Warriors one, Clippers two. We got the Nuggets at three. I mean, you can't count out Jokic. I mean, he is constantly an MVP candidate as long as he is playing the way he is. Suns go to number four. I'm moving the Grizzlies up to number five. Um, you know, I, I just like the whole John Morant and company. Look, they're injured. They're going to get injured. Uh, but who knows if they do stay healthy, John Morant, solid player. We know that very explosive as a young player. I love the Timberwolves at number six. They had a good off season. You add Rudy Gobert. So now, like you said, you have that twin tower effect with cat and Rudy Gobert, Anthony Edwards, after he got drafted from Georgia has been a stud in the league. That's going to be a lot to handle. And I think the Timberwolves could be a bit of a dark horse. You know, I think they can get into a first round and 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 take one of those top tier teams to a set through a seven game gauntlet. I, I think they're definitely a team to look out for. Um, then at my seventh seed, I'm going the Pelicans. I think there's a lot of hype here with Zion coming back, and, and they have a really good feisty roster construction too. And then my eighth seed, uh, I go with the Lakers. So you know, very similar there in the West, but we know who the powerhouses are. So we had the same exact eight playoff teams here. Actually, the top four ranked in the same order. And I like what you said. Like, it's a team, like, I think I would group them together. The Timberwolves, the Pelicans, and the Grizzlies are three young, motivated, fiery teams that has the potential to take off one of the Giants. Like, it would not shock me at all if one of those swayed a Clippers or, I mean, in a more extreme sense, the Warriors. Like, I think those teams now, you look at the talent that they've assembled with the, obviously, the Pelicans, Zion, B.I., McCollum. If the the Grizzlies get Jaron Jackson back with him and and Desmond Bain and John Morant, the Timberwolves, we've mentioned that victory a couple of times now already. They have that sort of mold that one of them is going to shock one of those top teams. I'd honestly be shocked if it didn't happen. I think one of those three teams is bound for the second round and taking off a top tier team. I think that's just how it's going to shake out because things will break right for one of them, if not more. I mean, it's not uh, the, the West. Honestly, obviously, the Warriors. You have to say are the the, the top team in the league, the, the defending champs, and the, their roster, they brought back the exact same team and they look fantastic on opening night. But besides them, like, no one is prone to getting knocked off. The, I can see the Clippers and the Nuggets easily getting taken down by one of those teams. The Warriors are sort of a different story, but for, regarding everyone else, I think the West is is wide open almost in a sense. Besides, someone's going to have to slay the Giant, which is Dub Nation. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where it gets into our finals predictions. You know, I don't see the Warriors not winning the NBA finals again. I think, you know, and I could be wrong, obviously you might have a, a different prediction, but there's no reason why they shouldn't at least be in the NBA finals. I mean, it's clear that the warriors of their, their first early dynasty are back. And I know there's a lot of turmoil going on within the group itself, but you just have all those players around them, that big four now, and you have all those guys coming off the bench. Uh, I, I don't see why not, why not golden state, winning the NBA finals uh, again. I, I'm sure I'm curious to hear what you think, if they're going to repeat or someone else is in there. Yeah. I mean, well, well, first for you, warriors over who, who do you have coming out of the I, East? I, I honestly really like the bucks and it was between them and the Celtics, but I just think the bucks just have this vibe to me that they're just, you know, 
balls to the walls. Like I just don't see any issues with the Bucks. Like I can nitpick at other organizations. Like the Bucks just seem like they go about their business nice and quiet. Giannis isn't this super outspoken kind of guy. And I just love that vibe out of the Bucks. So I think it'll be a really, really good series. I think that's a series that can go to seven, but ultimately Golden State is just an elite powerhouse with one of the best players ever. Like I want to make the like sexy, like, like chip on shoulder type pick. I want to say the Clippers with Kawhi and PG healthy. I want to say the Nuggets, if they could keep Porter Jr. And Murray healthy around Jokic. But like when, when, when you sit and think there for a second, you're like, okay, the Golden State Warriors are easily the favorites come out of the West. So you got to roll with them. I'm, I'm not going to say anything crazy here. Is it possible? Absolutely. But like, if, if you're, if you're going to put, make me pick, I'm going to say the Golden State Warriors out of the West. And we're actually sharing a brain here on the East. I, I, I like, obviously Boston and Philly to me were the two teams that I think were the top contenders here. I can't roll with Philly until I see James Harden really step it up in the playoffs. That's my issue there. And I just think with the Celtics, as much as I like their roster, obviously, you have Robert Williams dealing with an injury and the coaching situation. I mean, I think that might play a bigger factor than we think when we get down the stretch. We saw what Eme was able to do when it came to adjustments last year in the second half. It was in the second half that the Celtics really took off. That defense became the top in the league. Will this interim head coach be able to make those same adjustments if there's a response to how Boston's playing? I don't know. I'll roll with Giannis and company. Obviously, Chris Middleton's got to be healthy because we saw last year the Celtics were able to surpass them last year with Middleton missing that entire second round series. And Drew Holiday, one of those two-way players, and that DeJounte Murray fold of player. He's he, he's good for his 18 to 20 and his elite defense. So I, that's a big three that we've seen win a championship. They did in 2021. And as long as Middleton is healthy to me, that that's a key here. He He's probably one of the more underappreciated guys in in basketball, until they were able to get over that hump, he took a lot of a, a lot of heat for the Bucs not being able to get to a finals. And we saw when they were able to just how vital he is to what they're doing. So assuming he's able to right the ship and get back on the court, I'm going to go with Warriors and Bucks. And in, in that case, you're making me pick a team. Going back to back is really hard in the NBA. We've seen it be done a couple times. The Miami Heat being one of them with LeBron James, the Golden State Warriors. But I'll roll with the Bucks here. I think Giannis is able to impose his will on a series almost like no other. And if it got to an NBA final situation, that is that's where I go. That would sort of set up this back, this like alternating effect where the Bucks at the 2021 champs, followed by the Warriors in 2022. If you're if you're making me throw out a team there, I'll throw out Bucks over Warriors in the NBA finals. I like that. It, it, it's a really good prediction. And you know, we just hope for a good NBA season. We know there's going to be a lot of drama, and we know there's going to be a lot of scoring. And uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. But again, night night three as we're recording here on this Thursday late uh, early evening of the NBA season. So still plenty of basketball to be played. So much basketball to be played. There's no league like it when it comes to drama, like you said. Really quick before we move on the football, no no explanation behind it. Who's your MVP pick? Luka Doncic just leads the Dallas Mavericks to a point where the Mavericks would be an absolutely awful basketball team if they didn't have Luka Doncic. And I evaluate this in terms of, you know, the Dallas Mavericks – uh, will be where they are this year because of the determining factor of Luka Doncic. So that's my quick prediction for MVP. I'll go Joel Embiid. He's had to sit there behind Jokic a couple years. It's been this great battle of the two best centers in the NBA going back and forth. I think this is the year Joel goes over the hump. He's going to be as motivated as anyone to do it. Give me Joel Embiid. We MVP this year. Okay. Enough said with hoops. Very excited for this upcoming season. 
but we're in the middle of a crazy football year. And we, we got to get into some New York football once again. And the Jets, they, we talked about, for as great as the Jets have played these last couple of weeks, going to Lambeau is another animal, regardless of how the Packers look. And they march in there, and they absolutely stomp on the Green Bay Packers. They win 27-10. They get another win in a fashion that just showed why this Joe Douglas regime has taken the the type of praise that 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 it has and it's it's turning guys like Jamal Adams and, and Sam Darnold into Brees Hall, who has yet another fantastic game rushing for 116 yards and a touchdown. Turning J- turning Jamal Adams into Elijah Vera Tucker, who's been in the Swiss Army knife for the O-line and Garrett Wilson. It, it's those young assets that they brought in by moving off of some of their disappointing veterans that has helped move this team in the right direction. And and the Jets get a massive win there. I mean, considering we did such a in-depth NBA preview. We're not going to go as as full-blown into the football as we would on a normal week. We'll get back into that next week when we're sort of just recapping the New York teams. But I think one team that, one thing, if you said of what caught my eye this week, I think the Jets are getting confident for, for a franchise that has been just so down to the dumps, had some of the just just such classic all-time moments of of, of misery, really. The, you have the butt fumble. You have losing on that 2015 last week of the season in Buffalo to miss the playoffs. And this is a team that it's, it seems like this team is so young and so naive that they don't even realize that they play for the Jets. And as a fan, I'm I'm aware and I've seen the trials and tribulations of the last decade. But this team doesn't this team. It doesn't seem like they had that that feeling. I mean, Brees Hall is getting in the end zone and jumping into the into the crowd doing a Lambo leap. Sauce Gardner is running around the field post game with a cheese head. It, it's those little things that show that there's something growing, developing with this team in a way that like they're young. And they don't care what you think about them. They're just going to go do their thing. And I think that's a really positive thing that you have happening with this Jets team coming together and, and showing a little bit of confidence, starting to, to believe that they could do it. And that'll prove really important when you start getting into this season where you have to play the Buffalo Bills. They're going to see it as a, it's just another it's another test on the road. Why can't we do it? And, I, and I'm really excited about them just coming together in this way. Two quotes that I like from, from a certain coach that I talk to a lot in, in the NCAA. One, they're playing like they have nothing to lose. And, and you're right. They don't care about the expectations. They don't care about butt fumbles and, and disappointing seasons from years past. They're just going out there and playing jet football and hard football, too. The defense was great. Quinn Williams, I mean, he's been real good, real consistent. He's put together a few good games now, and that's good to see up on that defensive line. And, and you have Zach Wilson obviously playing really well, but also – like you said, the opponent is irrelevant to this football team. They're just going to go out there. They have their fun, right? And they just play their football. If they lose, fine. There's no expectations on this Jets team. If they win, even better. More excitement. All I know is we're sitting here about to start week seven, and the New York Jets are four and two. I mean, we thought this team was only going to win four games the entire year. So, you know, again, there's nothing to lose with this Jets team. I love that they're young. I love that they fight, and they don't care that the, who their opponent is. It's exciting football to watch, just like with the other team in New York, which we'll touch on in a second. But I will say the whole Brees Hall, Michael Carter duo in the back, but I'll touch on Brees Hall right now. He is making an early case, in my opinion, for for a rookie of the year, offensive uh, rookie of the year bid. got to be the favorite. Uh, he is the favorite. It's no question. I mean, how explosive he is. You go back and watch those highlights and you look at the long runs that he's had during that game in Green Bay. I mean, 
it's phenomenal. He leads the charge as a rookie. It's really it's and that's the last thing I'll say on it. It's just really special to see Brees Hall leading a charge, a rookie, with Zach Wilson and a four and two New York Jets team. He's just so electric with the ball in his hands. I mean, there was a picture that, that I saw on my Twitter feed today. And it was literally with him with the ball on that play where he was he could have end around it to Wilson and he just found the hole and took it. And it was him like clear path to the end zone and literally just behind him was like eight Packers. It was just like how he was able to maneuver and hit the right hole at the right time and use his burst when he needs to. It's what makes him such a gifted runner. You mentioned Quinn and Williams. I mean, like, as great as Brees Hall's been, and so, and we, we could talk about Sauce Gardner again and how great he's looked. Quinnen was the star of the show in this win. He wins Defensive Player of the Week. He has two sacks, three, three QB hits, two tackles for a loss, a forced fumble, and a blocked field goal. Guy was an absolute game wrecker on Sunday. I mean, seeing him come into his own here and now, I mean, he's putting himself in a conversation where how many guys are there at that interior defensive line position that you feel can impact the game more than Quinnen? And we talked about it. I'm going to keep referencing it because that's what this Jets team's all about. The stars are going to have to come from within. This what we, We've seen their free agency strategy. They're bringing in the supplementary pieces, but they wanted to build this thing through the draft, and that they've really done in a way that you're starting to see. It's Sauce. It's Brees. It's Quinnen. The stars are coming from within and coming into their own in a way that the Jets only could have envisioned from stockpiling all this high-end draft capital. And, and Quinnen is now out there. He is just wrecking the game. I, I mean, we he went right behind Nick Bosa, another guy that's having a great year. But for Quinnen to be in that conversation with even from from this perspective, in that same tier as Aaron Donald, when it comes to impacting from a pass rush perspective, and Quinnen, it was so nice to see him. He's been having, I mean, two years ago we had a very good year. Last year a little step back, a little unhealthy. Okay, you 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 sort of give him a mulligan when it comes to the health. This year, those first couple of games, you saw the flashes, and to see him put it together in just an absolute annihilation of the Green Bay Packers offensive line was. Absolutely fantastic to see. He looked like a mature, a mature, dominant defensive lineman. I mean, and that's what you hoped he is now at this stage of his career. And it's coming together. And you're right. The way they built the free agency is getting supplementary pieces. But now, and I feel like they've been trying to build through the draft for years, and it just hasn't worked out. Now you're starting to see it. And here's some life. Here's some life for Jets fans to finally get excited. You know, young guys, you would assume that, the draft would only get better from here for the Jets team. And, you know, at the end of the day, you're sitting here at four and two going into week seven. So it's special. These New York teams are great. And it's a preview to some of my three point picks. So we'll go to the other side. Well, and... well one thing before yes. we move to the Giants, I mean, we have to talk about the breaking news of the day. Oh, yes, absolutely. And, and that'd be Elijah Moore requesting a trade. This rubs me the wrong way. I'd have to assume you feel the same way. This is a Jets team that is playing so well, that is riding high, and you have what's supposed to be. I, I get it. The you haven't been getting the targets as much as you'd like. The, the I mean, let's. I mean, we're watching. This has been a run first football team, and Elijah Moore is unhappy with his usage, and he requested a, a trade from the Jets. And to me, that just it comes off as so selfish. Like, like you're you're. This is your second season. This is the. You're not even halfway through your second year in the league, and the team you're on is having great success, and you want out? I don't know. And I love Elijah Moore still. Like, like I still think he has a very prominent role in this, the future of this Jets offense. And and the Jets made it clear today that they're not looking to trade him, but like with the way we've seen receivers get moved in the league in the last couple of years, I'll never say anything's off the table. Like if they get the right offer, I mean, like uh, I mean they'll pull the trigger if it's right for the team. But like 
there was so much excitement about Elijah Moore and Garrett Wilson back-to-back years taking a high-end receiver. And, and, and we've seen the flashes from both of them. But obviously, I mean, I, I understand that the passing attack has not been what we hoped it would have been under Zach Wilson so far. I mean, it's been a little bit more of a tempered, quiet passing attack. And I think with a guy like Zach that has such big play potential and such a such a high quality arm, we would have liked to have seen a little bit, definitely a little bit more of, of the pass helping them win these games. And you can't complain because they're winning the games, but it, it's been pretty quiet for Eli Moore this year. And it, it's certainly not what you want to see, but like to take it to the extreme of wanting out, I'd have to imagine this is not going over well in the locker room. And and to be honest, it's just disappointing because I still feel, I still feel hopeful that Eli Moore is going to be a big part of the jets moving forward. Yeah, you hope so. And, and you're right. It's just, it's selfish. And ultimately at the end of the day, it's kind of a short thing to say, but it doesn't fit the mold of this current season, New York jets. That That is just not their identity on this roster. They, I feel like there is no selfishness on this roster. Clearly there is. And, you know, if the Jets were smart about it, you either have to talk to them and kind of figure things out. Or if this is really a problem where it's about touches, you got to move right away, in my opinion, because this Jets team at this point, if you're trying to compete, which they are, you know, you can't afford to have these selfish players on the sideline. It's just it's it's not functional for the way this Jets team is functioning this year. I agree. This is it needs to be handled in in the most immediate fashion as possible. I mean, this either has to result in. Eli, you're not going anywhere. We understand your frustration. What? Let's get you. What, let's let's figure this out. We're gonna. We're not gonna just deviate from what's working, which is the run game. But let's work on scheming you more into the game. Or it's gonna just have to be a thing where, like, all right, maybe maybe we seriously have to pursue other options because when you have a team clicking the way it is right now, gaining this positive momentum and energy, the last thing you need is a guy like Eli Moore in there, sort of ruining it with a potentially selfish mindset. So. They got to move fast here, but I just, I had to, we had to touch on it because that's such, that's such big and unexpected news from a, a team that has, has had such positive vibes going and, and, and Elijah Moore sort of throws a little wrench in that. So hopefully we, that gets resolved somewhat soon, but now getting to where you were going, give us, go into the, the New York Giants. What was another fantastic victory? Another exciting week. I mean, probably the biggest matchup that the Giants had in this whole run of winning football games. And you're sitting here coming off a high of winning against the Baltimore Ravens. Granted, there were some mistakes from Daniel Jones. But other than that, a win's a win against a tough Baltimore offense. And the New York football Giants are 5-1 and one in a tough division. And against a team that is probably one of the most dynamic offenses in the NFL. I mean, look, there were mistakes, granted, great. But that's got to be something to be proud of right there, especially the way they stayed resilient and were able to come back. And then that last play of the game is just, in my opinion, is the identity of New York Giants football or the last sequence of plays where Kayvon Thibodeau forces the fumble. It gets recovered, and you know you run yourself into the first down, and you end up winning the football game like that. I mean, that is identity, New York Giants football. MetLife was rocking. I mean – is it is it now valid to say that the New York Giants like are for real after beating Baltimore? I said it last week. I I think I made it very clear that if the New York Giants beat the Baltimore Ravens, I will now change my outlook on this team from being teams that have sort of ran into a couple victories in some weird ways against some not so great teams to someone I have to seriously consider more when it comes to the the playoff picture. And they did what they had to do. They they do it. It's win. They win close games. Like. They're not going to go out and break the doors off you. They realistically don't have the roster to be able to do that. But when it comes to the way that Daniel Jones has strapped up and played more more quality, tight, fundamentally solid football, along with, as, as we're going to keep referencing, this coaching staff with Wink Martindale and Brian Dable, 
that puts you in a position to be able to come out and win these close games. Danny Jones throws for 173 yards, two touchdowns, no picks. Those boneheaded mistakes seem to be a thing of the past. I wonder how much that has to do with with Brian Dable. Just that week one, we loved the way he got in his face and made it, made sort of a statement that you can't make those mistakes if you want to be successful. And and it's working. Danny Jones is playing some some good football, and he he's not taking the Giants out of games. And and every week he's starting to make me think maybe he's actually making some plays to to actually actively help them win. It's not just game managing as much as it seemed to be earlier in the season. I mean, Jones is essentially playing the Giants out of a pick good enough to draft his replacement. I mean, that's sort of the territory we're approaching. They're five and one at this point. How could you not want this team to be in the playoffs? I mean, if, if this team misses the playoffs, that would somehow crazily be a disappointment. Uh, you'd have to say, so you're five and one. You got it at least it, with three wild cards. This team should be playing postseason football. And Danny Jones is saying, okay, you're, I'm going to play solid enough football to make you want to keep me at least on a short-term basis. And if you're thinking about drafting my replacement, I'm going to make us win too many games to be able to do so. Because at five wins already, I, I think they've already taken themselves out of a top three pick at least. Yeah, and good for Daniel Jones. And he's making plays with his legs too. Obviously, he's got Saquon. And we've touched on Saquon enough already to where we know he's explosive. But when you're winning football games with a receiver core of Darius Slayton, Richie James, Daniel Bellinger as basically your top three guys, Minus the fact that, you know, you paid all this money to Kenny Galladay and he's a non-factor. Kadarius, Tony, whatever's going on off the field, you know, hope he gets better and, and whatnot. But this receiver core is winning football games. It's all on the coaching. It's all on the coaching. And now Daniel Jones has been put in a position to succeed where I think that week one statement was correct. The expectations were made right there. If there are mistakes, things are going to change. And Daniel Jones made sure they're not going to change. And look what happened right now. The New York football giants are five and one. So it's an exciting time in New York football. It, it really is. You know, and, and you mentioned the receiving court. There's actually a little bit of positive news when it comes to the receiving court. The giants got back Wandale Robinson, their second round pick out of Penn state. He came back and, and he, and he wasn't doing anything crazy. Three catches, 37 yards and a touchdown, but he did bring an element of, it almost seemed like they were using Wandale Robinson in a way that they envisioned Kadarius Tony. So at a, at a minimum, at least if you're going to get out of Wondell Robinson, this 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 guy that could be used, he's he's a guy that you could use creatively. I could see him taking some snaps in the Wildcat, end arounds, plays that just actually open up what you're able to do, especially when you get into the red zone. He's such a lethal weapon. I feel like when you get close, you could deploy him in many different ways. I just, I, I think getting Wondell Robinson back is at least a sign of better things to come when it comes to the weapons that Daniel Jones has. We obviously know that this thing is is chugging through Barkley. But getting Wondell Robinson back at least gives Daniel Jones something to play with. And, and Danny Bellinger, let's pay the kid some respect. Rookie tight end was not did not have a lot of expectations. He's playing a role, and, and he actually looks pretty solid. So it, it really could only get better. At, you could at this point, any it, it feels like anything they get out of Kenny Galladay or Kadarius, Kadarius Tony is is essentially house money. Like it's gotten to the point where you really have to have zero expectations for either of those two. But if you could get guys like Bellinger and Robinson to step up a couple of young guys and that, that are gelling all the better for the giants. But I, I think just when you mentioned that receiving core, we got to, we got to mention that, that Wando is back and that's at least something to, to help elevate the play of Danny Jones. Yeah. Notice that he made some big plays in that game. It wasn't a lot, but it was something. And again, the giants don't throw the football a lot like some other teams do. So the numbers don't jump off the sheet, but it gets the job done. And that's what the New York giants have established as their identity, really. And it's a good thing to see. So, you know, and I think with all the New York football that's going on, I think it's great. I think it's going to lead us into our uh, our final segment as we're running low on time here. But, you know, three-point picks. And now 
there's some guarantees, at least on my end, knowing that there's some confidence in New York football. Um, so I, I guess I'll give it a start. Um, and I'll start with my three-point pick. I'm loving the New York football Giants. I'm taking, and they're not favored in this game because they're on the road in Jacksonville. So I'm taking the Giants at plus three over the Jaguars. Number two, we talk about just the mediocrity of the Denver Broncos. I think that's a perfect game for the New York Jets to just stomp on the Denver Broncos. So my two-point pick is Jets at plus one and a half. So if you want a little money in this game, I would recommend picking those. And then my one number one-point pick, and I think this is a safe one possibly, depending how Joe Burrow and the Bengals do. I'm taking the Bengals at minus six and a half at home against the Falcons. You just picking against the Falcons. They, they've covered the spread every game. You keep doing it. Listen, that's why it's my one-point pick. I'm waiting for the Bengals right. to come out at, at, at some point. You yeah. Know? I really am. Solid picks there. I mean, we share one pick, and and I'll, I'll let you know which one that is in a second. My three-point pick, I'm going Buccaneers minus 10.5. This is essentially betting against the Panthers. I mean, the Panthers, we saw what they looked like with P.J. Walker last week. He is set to start again. No Baker Mayfield, no Sam Darnold. So with P.J. Walker running that offense, they could not do anything against – the the Rams who the they helped get the Rams back on track. The only touchdown the the Panthers scored was defensive. So I, I really find you would think Brady coming off a couple of brutal losses. This is a great chance for them to come in and just stomp on the the worst team in that division and arguably the worst team in football. So Bucks minus ten and a half there. Two point pick we're sharing it. Jets plus one and a half. The Broncos their defense is fantastic, but that offense just looks like a complete train wreck. Jets one and a half there. It's more of a confidence that they win this thing. Russell Wilson is supposedly injured but even so the way the broncos look makes me gives me no reason to believe that the jets could not go into denver and take a win obviously denver's another place with an interesting home field element to it but if the jets go win in lambeau in convincing fashion they could win in denver jets plus one and a half and then lastly i'm touching the thursday night it's gonna happen in about an hour and change give me cardinals minus two and a half the saints are down there two of their starting receivers no michael thomas no jarvis landry they gotta roll andy dalton again cardinals are at home here in the return of deandre hopkins you you like they lose hollywood brown big loss there he's gonna be out four to six weeks but you bring in hopkins who had such a good connection with kyler murray you'd like to think the cardinals at home here could cover by a field goal against the Saints team essentially running their b unit that, that so I'm rolling Thursday night. I know we don't do a lot of Thursday night picks there. It depends on when we record. I saw an opportunity to do it tonight, so I so I rolled with it. Cardinals minus two and a half. I right now I believe you have a one point lead in the no point pick segment. So a big crucial week as always in our pick segment. But that's all we got for you today. Action packed episode, like we said. Knicks, Nets, Jets, Giants, NBA predictions, picks. We gave you it all. We will talk to you guys next week for another. It's going to be another busy one because now we're going to have way more action to talk about in the NBA. We're going to start seeing a couple games from the Knicks, from the Nets. We could really dive in and focus in on that. The Jets this week go to Denver. The the Giants this week play the Jaguars. And we will have that all for you next week on No Plan Views. Make sure to rate and review us five stars on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts. Give us a follow at No Plan Views on Twitter. Keep in track with everything that we are talking about on a weekend, week out basis. And with that, I am Brandon Mintz. And I'm Harris Eisenberg, and thank you for listening to Episode 7 of the No Plain Views Podcast. It's big, it's fun, it's No Plain Views. Join our bandwagon.